Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. I uh, am very excited for the show today. We're going to do something a little different. For those of you who uh, listen regularly, you will already notice that it's not the beautiful voice of Karen Hutchison introducing the show, but my voice, which is not quite as beautiful. But that's okay, because we have another Karen here with us today that's going to help out today co-hosting the show, but also she's the interviewee today. So it's kind of mixing it up a little bit. Karen Hutchison has been um, out and about doing some trips as I had some trips as well, which is why we've had some recasts over the last few weeks. But uh, we are back with this show before Christmas. And so uh, I know a lot of you are getting ready for Christmas out there. So a very Merry Christmas, a uh, little bit early to you. Um, if you listen to this well after Christmas, well, I hope you had a great Christmas. So without um, further boring you with my Christmas celebrations, um, I just want to introduce you to Karen Springs, who we also had on the show a little bit uh a couple of episodes ago, given a, a little introduction onto what we're going to be talking about today. So, Karen, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Phil. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, you are, as as uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago, is probably Sosimo Samuel Burnett, Burnett episode. For those of you out there who didn't hear that, I recommend you go back and listen to that. And uh, it was in November we had that episode air. Karen gave a little brief uh, intro into what she's been doing over the last couple months. She's now, um, it's been kind of cool. This is this is for sure the first person who's been a guest on the show literally the day after being a house guest um, in my home and uh, with my family. So it's been a pleasure to have her and her cousin stay with us, who happens to be the daughter of Steve Weber, who those of you out there who know Steve. So it's been a blast just having getting to know them a little bit better, but also be able to introduce you all out there to to Karen. So tell us a little bit more, you know, just briefly remind us, Karen, what um, what you've been doing the last few months and um, what uh, what you're, you know, what, what you learned over the last couple months. Yeah. So, yeah, in brief, I've worked with orphans and vulnerable children and adoptive families in Ukraine for over a decade and really had a heart to understand what happens when people go home so to the US. And so basically that turned into the idea of taking a road trip across America to interview families that have adopted Ukrainian children. So I have spent the last 100 days on the road, starting on the West Coast, going out to the East Coast and back to the West Coast again, and have been staying in the homes of these adoptive families and doing interviews with them, uh, specifically with the parents, and really just getting a sense of where they are now, what they wish they'd known, and what they've learned through this process. And so um, through doing these interviews, my plan is to take that research and um, stories that I've heard and to write a book about my own perspective on adoption and how these stories um, kind of have shaped that and transformed that. And um, yeah, so that's just a little window into the project. Yeah, and, and who would have thought that part of this road trip would be co-hosting I know. Podcast. On nearly, I'm almost home. I will get back to Seattle in two days, and I get to stop and and see you and debrief. So it, yeah. it's kind of cool. And I'm sure there are other families were great, but this has got to be the highlight. Yes, yes. You made yeah. amazing eggs and and sausage, well, so yeah. it's all good. We won't get into the food because then we might get a little off track. But, um, 
Well, you know, I think you talked about it. You alluded to it. You've been inter- you're interviewing these families, which is was really cool. It's such a great idea. And then just to really be able to get the reality, right? We talk about theory a lot. We talk about, you know, this is the way it should be. This is the way it could be. This way we hope it to be. And, you know, you were on that end of it too back in Ukraine when you were in that honeymoon phase, a pre-honeymoon phase, really. It was just this excitement and everything is so, you know, exciting to get going. And, and then now you're few years later some you know decade later in some instances and and uh tell us the questions that you know the the the, the uh the themes of the questions and then how you kind of came to the questions that you asked these people um and uh you know again what were some of the high so some of the categories that that really surprised you the most well um i th- i think a lot of the themes and the questions that i I had going into this and I had some great friends and colleagues that, you know, kind of advised some of my questions as well. But I think a lot of them just came about from statements I've heard, had heard people make over the years. And so, um, there was a lot of focusing around siblings, like what was it like to integrate, uh, biological children, um, with adopted children. There was a section on grief and loss. Um, what did that mean for their children to grieve their, um, their host, their home country and what did it mean for the adoptive family to grieve um, their original family Um, we also I focused a lot on attachment focusing on not only the children's attachment to the family but also the family's attachment to the child and a lot around behaviors challenging behaviors surprising behaviors a lot just around the topic of expectations. What did people expect when they walked this path of adoption and what was reality? So where did expectations and reality collide? Um, We did a lot just what I wish I'd known. Um, If someone was to ask you now that you've walked this road and ask about adopting, you know, specifically from Ukraine, what would your advice be? And um, then just a lot about what has God taught them, how they changed as people, um, what are the lessons that God has shown them and um, how they've seen God throughout this this whole process? So I'd say that's um, a very brief overview of some of the, the questions asked. And, you know, usually I was sitting down um, for about an hour and a half to two hours with most families. Yeah. And you and we were talking a little bit about this. And the cool thing is, is you're going to put this into a book, as you said. So we're going to be able to glean from all this wisdom and the understanding and what you learned. And you'll see those questions. And and if you know, if you're OK with it, we can even put the, the questions that you asked on on the show notes. And mm-hmm. and so people can kind of see and really be thinking through them themselves. That might be a help. I don't know if you're, you're OK with that, but yeah, we, can, sure. we can go ahead and do that. And so we'll have that on the show notes. And um and, and so, you know, I know one of the things that I'd love to hear, you know, is what were some of the the highlight answers from the what I wish I would have known? You know, like what are some of the things that really stuck out to you from those from those uh, questions? Um, well, a lot of people, I think one thing and people answered this different ways, but it was probably very similar, was everyone said something along the fact of, we knew that this was going to be hard. We just didn't know what version of hard we would have. Mm. And so um, I think, um, yeah, what they'd wish they'd known is that they, they wish they'd known that the structure of their family would change and that it was almost as if they were trading in the family that they had for a new one. Mm. And a lot of times people, um, you know, can we can romanticize adoption and we can say, you know, we look at it as all the good things we're going to do for the child, but we don't recognize that when we're bringing in a child into our home, that it is changing the DNA just as 
a, a new birth child would change the DNA, but in a very different way because this child is bringing into the home a lot of trauma and, and their own background, which is going to affect the family. And so I think a lot of people didn't realize the extent that uh, trauma, early childhood trauma would have on their family. And um, I think just how alone sometimes people um, felt. Another thing um, that I think surprised a lot of mothers was um, they had read so much on what it would mean for a child to struggle in attaching to the family, but they had felt that they'd read very little on what it would be like to struggle in attaching to the child mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And that um, that came up way more often than I had thought. I mean, I knew that was um, I knew that that was something people struggled with, but um, I had a lot of people be very vulnerable and just say how hard it was at times to feel emotionally connected to their children. And, um, and that was just a gr- very, uh, grieving thing because it hurt their, their mother's heart. Right. Absolutely. And one of the things that you talked about that it's, it's, it's fun how all the, a lot of these podcasts that you're talking about this, like these, the rush of the previous interviews is coming back to me. Like I think of Tara Vanderwood talking about ambiguous loss and the grief. And as you're talking about with the loss and the grief and did you, I don't, I don't know um, if you listened to that with the interview with Tara, but um, what did you find with that? When, you know, when you asked the questions, how did your child process the loss of what was left behind? And, and did you find that process, that loss, the processing of the loss was happening? Or do you think most of the time they try to kind of move forward from that as if it didn't exist, if that makes the sense? The loss for the child yeah. specifically? Yeah, you know, that one was, I thought I would have a lot more content there. And I don't know if sometimes it was how I phrased the question or if even families maybe not being cued in to the, the mm-hmm. loss of their child. But I would say most families were under the perception that, yeah, no, our child didn't really grieve a whole lot. They just kind of, you know, and, but then other families would maybe say, well, you know, this was happening. Maybe that was their way of grieving. Other, there was probably a few that were able to say that the child was able to identify, you know, what they were going through or, or identify missing their home culture. Um, but I think a lot of people, they expected there to be more processing of the loss and yeah. were trying to create the space for their child to do that. But then they just found like their child was like, nope, I'm good. Want to move on, want to move forward. Um, and so I, but I think, you know, grief and loss is such a lifelong journey. And a lot of these families still have, um, you know, pre-adolescence, adolescence in the home. And my thought on that is that a lot of these kids are going to go through a season later on, whether it's in their twenties or thirties, when they're creating their own new families that, um, a lot of those thoughts on, Hmm, where did I come from? And, um, why was I not able to stay with my, my birth family and, you know, all of the things that are surrounded that. So I think that, um, yeah, it, not a, as much content came up on that question as I thought. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, and, and, and I, I thought about that even hearing with, with, with Tara, I think that so much of it is, it may not even be known and thought about, which is why I think counseling is, is important and being able to really talk through the, you know, obviously I've never been through it personally. I've never adopted. I'm not adopted, so I don't know that. But just even hearing Tara talk about it as on both sides of it, because she's experienced both sides as an adoptive parent and adoptee. So to understand it is it's it's just you know it's fascinating to 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 think about. Which you know kind of leads to another question as you talked about you know the the idea one of the the sections you have is gratitude and entitlement. Can I get a thank you as a parent? You know of you know the all biological children. I I really like this theme, like you know because I can relate. You know, and I think most parents out there can relate with this. You know, the especially you know in the U.S. 
you know, it, it, uh, the idea of you know entitlement is unfortunately really prevalent and getting more and more, I think. And um, so what did you find with those, you know, the, the two questions here, you know, were, did you view your adoption as a rescue and how did your child view it? And in what ways does your child express or not express gratitude, whether that be about the adoption or anything? And this kind of goes to the uh, reality versus expectation side too. And that, the, that, the, that, you know, group of questions as well. So can you speak to that? What, what uh, responses you got to that? Well, I will definitely say that there was, I had two categories of people. I had those that on the parent side that fell into, and I would say that more fell into the side of like, yeah, you know, we, we did this not to expect a thank you. We knew we'd heard stories that kids won't be grateful. They won't be able to express gratitude. Um, but then I did have the handful, you know, a good amount of people that also said, you know, not that they were doing this for the thank you, but they were just shocked that here this child had nothing and we've brought them to a new country and we've given them everything. You know, we've bought them things and clothes and, and they just want more. You know, they just such an entitled attitude. You know, our birth children, like they're fine with secondhand clothes, but, you know, we bring this child from an orphanage and they want brand name everything. You know, so some of that conversation was coming up. Um, but then there was the few, um, definitely the minority, but a, still a significant amount of, of parents that said their kids are so grateful and verbalize mommy, daddy, I love you so much. Thank you for adopting me. Or uh, in Ukraine, I never had things like this. Thank you. So I can't make the blatant sure. statement, you know, that all the kids, but I will say that the word entitle, entitlement and ingratitude did come up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that um, some families did view their adoption as a rescue, that we're pulling a kid out of a, a really hard situation and they're going to see us as, you know, rescuing them. But that usually wasn't the case. Um, and I did find that, the, and this was interesting too, I found that the kids that were um, given more and, and one mom and I even talked about this and, and she was in an adoptive community and she found that the kids that were adopted into more affluent homes that were given more right away um, struggled more um, and then that attitude of entitlement just increased and it was like the drug like it was never enough like I want more I want more I want more so I mean kind of like a person that wins the lottery you know you think that they're gonna you know be wise with it and be grateful but right. you know a lot of people don't do well in when they're given a lot of things quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think as I'm, as I'm hearing that and thinking through it, it's like almost in a backwards kind of way, it's, it's encouraging in that kids are kids, right? right. You know, and these aren't some second class. These aren't some other class. These are kids, yep. right? At the end of the day, they are little kids and you know, us from a Christian worldview, they're broken human beings that need the love of Christ to, to save them, right? And yeah. gratitude and entitlement are taught, right? Absolutely. I mean, so like and you right work to learn that. Years. It's like, yeah. hey, stop that attitude, right? Exactly. And so you get to mold them from, and they still struggle. Mm -hmm. So here's kids that haven't been taught that, and you assume because they've had nothing, they will be grateful. Right. But it's like, no, gratitude is actually a learned thing. Yeah, so absolutely. No. And there's more and more studies talking about that. Right. I mean, actually my Bible study has been going through that talking about Ted talks on gratitude and then going into scripture and saying, how does scripture prove the Ted talk basically? And it's been a great exercise in just in the in gratitude and seeing that showing gratitude, experiencing gratitude, just seeing things that you're grateful for in society helps to literally shape your brain to be more grateful and to be more positive. And so, you know, hopefully that will be more and more, um, that'll be happening more and more in these homes and in all of our homes, in my home, and we try to do that every day as well. Um, 
And you saw this morning in my home, it's not necessarily exuding out all the time either. So um, unfortunately, we're not perfect. Um, maybe someday, probably not. Um, so some of the questions I want to get, maybe we'll come back into some of the, the substance of it as well. But I want to hear, you know, because I think we're going to get this book. We're going to, you can go on the, the video blogs, vlog, I guess is what we're calling them, um, on her, the Karen Springs YouTube channel, which we'll, we'll link to in the, in the show notes as well. Those are fun. I watched them all in preparation for the interview. There's, there's a really cool one with this, with one of the, uh, one of the girls who was adopted from Ukraine and she's got this cello that's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. It's a really cool, she's a cellist and it's one of the most, it's one of the coolest cello stories I've ever I've ever seen. So, um, so I encourage you to go out and check that one out. I think it's four or five, one of those in the in the middle of the middle of the trip. So, um, but you know you can so you can learn more about it, see more about it, um, and as we'll show the the questions on the show notes, you'll see that as well. But I want to hear kind of some of the like behind the scenes stuff here. So I know one of the video logs with your with your little cousins we're we're talking about some of these questions. Oh, my niece but, and nephew. Yeah, niece yeah, and yeah, nephew, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your nieces and nephew. Um, and uh, that was a fun little question. So I'm not going to be as good interviewers as they were, but I'll try. Um, so like what was outside of the meetings with the families? Like what were the kind of the coolest things you saw, the highlights of your trip? So scenery, road, road. Yeah, venturing. like I'm thinking like <laughs> I'm looking back at Chevy Chase and vacation. And, you know, I don't know if you saw that, but, you know, where he's like, hey, look, kids, yeah. the, the ball of twine, you know, yeah. like that type of stuff. The dinosaur, that's a huge dinosaur on the side of the road. Those those things that, you know, if you've never done a road trip, you just you're going to have to live vicariously through Karen here because it's, you know, things that you see across the country that, you know, really amaze you that they actually exist, first of all. And then, you know, some things are really amazing, yes. you know, um, that, you, that you see, but like the Grand Canyon and things like that are really amazing. But then there's things that are amazing in that they exist and people actually stop and see them. So yeah, I'm just curious on, on both sides that's of those. True. So. Well, and it's fun too, cause you know, I live, I've lived out of the U S for 13 years. Yeah. So this is the most driving and I don't drive mm -hmm. living abroad. Right. So like getting back behind the wheel in a car mm -hmm. and I, I was kind of panicking, like, Oh my goodness, this is going to be so much time in a car. Right. What am I going to do? Right. Like I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. But you know, God was really good and it just came little by little. And I did enjoy, I tried, you know, some days were hard cause I didn't have the the padding to pull off and see all the little things that mm -hmm. I wanted to see. But then, you know, there was a day I'm driving across the state of Iowa and I get to pull off and see the the set of the Field of Dreams yeah. movie. And that was amazing. Oh, that's amazing. And there I am by myself, like running the baseline, oh, you know, so man. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That's a highlight. And, um, then I'm driving from Columbus, Mississippi to Memphis, Tennessee, and I see a sign that says Elvis's birthplace. And I'm like, well, why not pull off and take a picture? Yeah. So, um, and then I kind of, my other little gimmick was I um, decided that I was gonna jump, physically jump in front of as many state capitals as I possibly could. And so I, I unfortunately came up with that idea after I'd already passed a few. So I think I maybe only have 10 or 12 when all will be said and done. I actually jumped in front of Sacramento yeah, today. Yeah, that today. So. <laughs> but, um, so little fun things like um, trying to take pictures of all the state signs and um, got to see some really fun, you know, big cities, got to see San Francisco the other day, which was really fun, enjoyed Charleston and Savannah and Boston and New York. So um, I had really not traveled the U.S. much prior to this trip. So I'm um, just seeing things um, like 
the way the South fries everything or yeah. the way everything is giant in Texas. So, That's I mean, <laughs> Californians are more laid back. So I did feel at home the more I got closer to the West Coast, though. So that was fun. Oh, good. What was what was the best food you had? On oh, the trip? goodness. Well, there was one family I stayed with in Savannah, Georgia, and this was just really interesting. I had never experienced low country boil. Do you mm-hmm. know what this is? Uh, it's where you throw. So it's a southern thing. Yeah. And in a pot, they yep. throw oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. like everything. everything. Right. Yep. Shrimp, yep. corn, mm-hmm. meat, potatoes. And so. That my host family I was staying with, they were like, yeah, well, you just do all this, you throw it in a pot, and then you throw it on the table. Well, I didn't know that they literally meant, like, throw it on the table on a on a piece of paper, and then you eat from yeah. it. So that was a really fun cult- cultural too. experience. Um, we didn't eat the oh, Wonder Bread. And then in Texas, my friends took me out for some really good barbecue where they did have the bread and the... the the meat all on the table and so those were some more cultural (laughs) and today i i had in and out burger for the first time so that's the first time yeah first time first time okay well that that's a great experience that's a great (laughs) trying to think of any other food things you know up in the north i'm more of a starbucks girl because i'm from seattle but up in the northeast everything's dunkin and donuts coffee and so that took some some getting used to i i don't know that i'm as a big fan as the northeasterners are so yeah that's my dad Southern California is big Dunkin' Donuts guy. So, you know, it's it's made its way out to the West Coast as well. So, and he swears by it. So, I don't know. I'm not a coffee oh, drinker. That's true. So I don't that's know. right. But uh, anyway, but yeah, so that's that's kind of fun. Was, was there one thing that surprised you the most about, about the trip? trip? Um, well, I will say two things, and maybe the first one shouldn't have been a surprise, but I had amazing weather the mm. entire time. I think if you're ever, if anyone out there is listening and planning on doing a cross-country trip, going through this, the, the route, so I, I went across the middle from the west to the east and then down the south and then back westward through um, the yeah. southern states and Texas. And I literally have been living in sunshine for mm-hmm. three months, and so I don't know how I'm going to go back to, to cold and rain. Um, right. But... Um, Uh, So that was a real fun surprise. And I think um, on a personal level, just connecting with everybody, you know, um, I stayed in over, you know, close to 50 homes um, over the last 100 days. And that can be exhausting at times. And thank goodness I'm an extrovert and do enjoy people. Um, And I will say I was surprised at how much I did enjoy. It was just so fun to reconnect with people. And it was amazing because we had the commonality of our time in Ukraine, you could just go so deep so fast. I mean, I was with people usually for, you know, between 24 and 48 hours most of the time. Um, And it was a, you know, doing life with them and seeing them, you know, do stuff with their kids and then sitting down and doing this formal, you know, formal two hour interview. But um, people were just so vulnerable and willing to share, share really hard heart stuff, um, good stuff, bad stuff, um, the things that God's been doing. And it was just really cool to be trusted with that Mm -hmm. um, and to just reconnect so quickly because um, here I was a person that understood this unique thing that they had done um, and you know, spent a, a portion of time with them in a country that, you know, means a lot to them because of the process they went through. So, um, yeah, I think I was just surprised at how, how easy it really was to reconnect. You know, you, you get ready to knock on someone's door and you're like, okay, I hope this isn't going to be awkward that I'm showing back up at their house, you know, five years later and we haven't spoken and here I'm going to like be sleeping in their guest room and, Mm -hmm. um, eating dinner at their table. And it, it was surprisingly just 
Yeah, that's great. And even the kids who really had never met you, I mean, for the most part, they were little babies and kids. And yeah, kids, well, right? some so. of them I hadn't even met. Um, I mean, I had a range of kids, so right. like kids that were adopted more like a younger child right. and then some that were teens and have only been home for a few years. So right. it was, they, they totally remembered me um, or some that I didn't actually even meet because right. Their parents um, left the country with them bef- um, when I was out of town or something. Mm-hmm. So I was meeting some kids for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny that one video with the cello. She, she was like, nope. nope. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, she was girl. two. That was pretty. Yeah, yeah she was, was probably funny. the youngest uh, adoptee. Like in terms of, she was two and she yeah. was adopted, and now she's twelve or thirteen. But yeah, that was really funny. She, no, I don't remember you. She was honest as she all was, get out, as yes. you could tell. And if, if you do go watch that video blog, yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. She is honest, that little girl. Yeah. It was it was yes, it was and really she's neat. delightful. Um, so you, you may have already said a couple of these, but you know, I, I thought, you know, let's just, I'd love to hear just what are the top, you know, three to five, whatever lessons that you learned on the trip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've, of course that's the question I keep getting asked over and over again. So I was thinking about that and, um, I think one of the things, and um, a lot of people would agree, is that adoption is a, a calling, you know, that not everyone is called to it. And, um, but if you are, you know, that God um, can equip you, um, but you need to look for the ways to be equipped. But I think some people, when this um, broad call can come out to the church that everyone needs to adopt, and if every Christian adopted, you know, XYZ, well, the reality is it's not so black and white, you know, the math doesn't always work that way. And I really don't believe everybody is called to adopt and, um, and I'm seeing that. And, and not that I would say that these families that I was with shouldn't have, but you know, they even recognize, you know, we did not realize what this would require of us. Um, and we could have prepared so much, um, so much more. And they're even saying like, um, yeah, we think that, you know, people just need to be better support to the people that do. Um, so recognizing that, that it's a calling. And um, I also, and I know we talked about this a little bit before, but um, redefining success. I think um, when I talk to people that are not in the adoption orphan care world um, about this project, you know, I get to share every once in a while about what I'm doing. And one of the first questions people will ask me is, well, how many of these adoptions are successful? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that, that question kind of bothers me a little bit because I think like, well, what does that even mean? Right. Um, what does success mean? Um, and I think, you know, for families, I'd have many families say that their definition of success has changed. You know, um, if um, a kid is not in jail, that might be successful. Right. If a kid is able to go on and form a somewhat healthy adult relationship and get married, that's successful. Um, you know, of course, we love to we love to broadcast the stories like the cellist, yeah. um, like the right. the ones that go on to um law school or, you know, just anything because our culture loves fairy tale stories, Mm -hmm. right? We just, we love to romanticize rags to riches stories, but the reality is life is not always like that. And so I think that some people go into adoption thinking that, or we're going to adopt the future president or um, the future, whatever, um, instead of realizing this is just about loving a kid and trying to get them the help that they need to be a healthy adult and to hopefully uh, know, know the Lord. And so when you change that paradigm about what success looks like, and so I think I'm constantly doing that because I can fall into that same category as like, is it successful, not successful, but it's like, 
And recognizing, I think the other like flip side to that lesson is recognizing that these stories are still being written. I was with one dad last week in Southern California and he said, you know, I really feel like you're here too soon. You know, we don't know how this is going to go. You know, we're in the midst of like a really hard season right now um, where they're screaming and yelling. And so uh, we're, you're here too soon. And I told him, no, I agree. I I do think I'm here too soon. Mm -hmm. I said, um, and I, I think I am recognizing, you know, I, Um, the people I've been interviewing have been home, I'd say for like two to eight years on average. And so most of these young, um, you know, adoptees are in their teens, um, mid teens to twenties, a lot of them. And so, you know, even when people look at people across the board, it's, you know, we're still figuring stuff out in our teens and our twenties and, um, biological children. Yeah. Thirties. It's for the the late to launch, but, um, so I do recognize that these stories are still being written. And and as a couple um, parents, I remember several, this came up several times, is recognizing that this is about generations. Yeah. That, you know, just because we don't see, quote unquote, fruit in this lifetime. I mean, this might be about a child that's going to be born, you know, 20, 30 years from now. This might be about breaking a cycle. And we just don't see it right now. And I think we always want to see results, right? We want to see change. We want to see redemption now. And so I think what God is showing me is that like, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the genealogy is like, you don't always see redemption right in the middle of all those names, right? It's like, it can take hundreds of years for it to resolve. And so I think it's constantly going back to that reality is that we are a part of a bigger story. And are we allowing God to write ours? So that's definitely a big takeaway and me. even within that, you talked about the disrupted adoptions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few of the ones that you visited were disrupted, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the, it's kind of like the, the unspoken right. of the adoption world, I think. And I, what would you learn about that? I mean, talking to families that have gone through that, which has got to be most, one of the most gut-wrenching, brutally hard things for a family to go through. Yeah, um, when you go through so much, you know, because I mean, you, you go through so much calling presumably these people feel called to do this and then it gets disrupted. And for those of you out there who don't know what that means, basically the gave the child back. I mean, that's effectively what that means. Or right? yeah, or typically s- into another family into here. Another, right. Mm-hmm. That's, but yeah. Back meaning into the system that yeah. then goes to another family. Um, so usually directly to that other family, but still not yours. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you so often talking about this is my child. I'm going to adopt them as if they're my own. Mm-hmm. And then that happens. So what would you find about that? You know, talking to people. Yeah. And the story, I, I think I interviewed about five families that had disruption at some level. Um, some was like an older teen choosing to leave. Um, two was, yeah, two were more choosing to disrupt. And, you know, I remember one of the moms said, and they had a, a several biological children in their family. And when they brought the new kids and, and their circumstance was very unique, but everybody was, um, spiraling downward, biological children, husband and wife, adopted children. And it was just uh, the storm of all storms, the perfect storm, you could say. And, you know, she kind of realized at some point, you know, we need to make the decision that is best for all of the children in this family right now. And I think they recognized that where they were at in that moment, they were not the ones that were going to be capable to bring healing to that child. And so I know that sometimes it can we can be very quick to judge families um, or even just when we hear that word disruption, we can like categorize that all as like, well, if they disrupted X, Y, Z. Well, I have come to learn that all of the situations are so, so, so unique. And until you are really inside the home and see what's going on, it's um, you really 
you really can't um, judge from the outside. And, you know, those families definitely grieved and there's a lot of shame, you know, really a lot of dealing with the grief and the shame of like, did we fail? Did we fail this child? Like I thought we were following God. And, um, and I'm not saying that like every, you know, I've, I've heard of other stories of disruption where I'm like, yeah, that seems like they threw the towel in too quick or they didn't look for their options. Again, I'm, you know, judging from the outside, sure. but, um, I will say the families I sat down with, I mean, they, all of them had very unique circumstances for why the child, um, was replaced in another family. Mm-hmm. And with the majority of those, it was a better fit all around the, ch- right. uh, and that's, um, and I know there's research on this, but usually, um, children that are readopted into a second family usually do better in the second family. And, um, I think a lot of that, especially within Ukrainian adoption, you know, there, there's not an amazing matching system, you know, it's a, it's basically a blind referral process. And I think that once the child is in your home, you're actually better equipped to figure out what kind of family and situation this child needs. And so sometimes they've been able to find the better therapeutic family, Mm -hmm. um, that, that could better handle that child. But yeah, I'm still wrestling with a lot of those questions around disruption after sitting with these families and, you know, what could have been done differently. And, um, and they still, ask themselves those questions yeah and it actually brings in again like i talked about old you know past interviews not old interviews past interviews that i've been able to do and one with mike doris which recently aired and he's talked to me a lot about the assessment centers that he says you know we need more assessment centers around the world to be able to take kids in for you know whether it's 60 90 days to really assess who they are where they are what's their fit you know because different kids need different things right and so we know that, like you said, it, a family that loves them as an individual is able to assess what is this child. Need, yeah, right? and then a lot of families really don't have accurate history on kids. Right. I mean, there's ones that, you know, had had some significant sexual abuse and they were not, you know, told that at all. Um, not that necessarily the the institution knew either, but you know, all those factors play into so much of the child's development. And when you don't have that information, you really are walking into a situation blind right. and trying to figure out a little personality. Yeah. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about about all the specifics of the trip, but I just want to, you know, before we get into kind of the post-interview co-hosting segment of the this show, um, I want to ask you, you know, how, how do you think your life will be different after this trip? Well, goodness, that, of course, the I asked that, what am I going to do? I'm going well, to be working on a book trying to process sure. all sure. this, but um, I think that it, you know, it makes me pause. Whereas I think, you know, 10 years ago when I was in my early twenties and, um, probably naive about a lot of this stuff, I was, you know, the second someone would say adoption, I would, you know, be so excited and gung ho and jump on the bandwagon. And so not, I don't think my view of children and families has changed, but it has definitely made me mellow out a little bit. And so I think it changes the way that I would talk to a family that was interested in pursuing adoption, or it changes the way I interact with families that have adopted. Cause I recognize, you know, what are the questions to ask that give them space to share if they want to share and how do, can I encourage them or, um, who are other families I can connect them to, um, so, and I think it also makes me want to do more, um, you know, I, I get a chance to, um, work. I didn't really get to share who I work for, but orphans promise has given me the ability to do this trip, which has been a huge blessing. And, you know, we do a lot within our organization with, um, advocacy, you know, for, um, for national, for in countries, for children to be adopted there domestically. Right. And also we do work, um, with family preservation through our keeping families together program. Mm-hmm. So I know both of those things are not black and white in every country, right. as you know, very well, yeah. but it really does make me want to put more effort into 
how do we keep kids in their culture? Because um, not that I'm anti-international adoption. I mean, I'm very for children and families, but I really do believe that if children can stay in their culture, right. it just saves a whole lot of the transition sure. process. Absolutely. And so that's the ideal. Um, so it makes me want to put more focus there. Um, and it also makes me want to, yeah, just look at how we can um, rally around the local churches and the local organizations that are doing it and not always come in, um, thinking that international adoption is the answer. Although, I mean, I'm very grateful for these families that have stepped forward. And I know that some of these kids are, are thriving in their situations here because of their families. So if anything, like this topic is so not black and white and I'm learning that more and more. And and sometimes we can make very black and white statements and I'm learning Mm -hmm. to be careful with doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And that's something I talk to people all the time about. This is so nuanced. Mm-hmm. There's so many issues. There's so many moving parts. With every answer we get, there's 50 questions behind it that just, we got to find answers to. And then there's 50 more. I and mean, it's just, and it's ongoing. And again, and we talked about this this morning as we were we were uh, having breakfast together, um, the idea that uh, these are human beings, mm-hmm. right? Every child is unique. And so with every child is a different question and different issues and different, you know, determinations and and so and with every family we have multiple human beings working together in a in one right and so every every literally every family unit is unique yeah and i think and i mentioned this too but uh, i think every time i'd do an interview where i'd walk away i'd be processing in my car you know i have all this driving time to process about Mm -hmm. what i just heard and i think like okay well i just saw this i saw that if they adopted the child that was younger than the birth children then this was this but then if they adopted a child that was twinned with the birth you know and i was trying to constantly create these formulas of like this one's not working this is working and then i'd meet a family that would throw it all out the window so it's like there are no hard and fast rules there's definitely Mm -hmm. themes and there's definitely topics to consider but like yeah there's no hard and fast rules so yeah you could you could recommend to somebody hey you might want to consider not doing x y or z but x y or z could work yeah. You know, at the same time. So you yeah. could recommend say, I don't know, but you know what? But I'm I not going to win the God. a lot of people, you know, and this is where I think, you know, God gives us wisdom sure. and, you know, and we have the Holy Spirit. And I think like some people said, it's like, well, God is bigger than birth order. Mm-hmm. And yes, I agree. God is bigger than birth order. But mm-hmm. wisdom shows absolutely that um, the ones that did adopt at a birth order have struggled more. Right. So are you yes. are you ready to walk that road? Exactly. So. Exactly. And, and if you're willing to understand that, take the chance and, and think that maybe there's a reason why this particular instance, but but to go into it with eyes wide open. Right. Right. And I think that that's absolutely critical with all this all this work. Um, all right. So we, we, we always ask two questions. You listen to the show. You know the two questions we always ask. One of those we're going to leave for the cool thing about having Karen on the show when Karen Hutchinson is not able to, we can still do Phil and Karen recommends at the end of the show, which we're going to do, but, and that will be the book or, or podcast or other things that she has. We're going to get to a kind of a specialized segment of that, the, the, that question, but what's the one person or, or even a group of people that, that have most impacted your thinking on, on orphan care and, and how we can love orphan and vulnerable children as God loves them through this trip or just in general, just in general in, oh. in life. Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, that wasn't on my pre-briefing of I, questions. I every so often, I throw a little, you know, curveball so that we can, and you know, we can hear just what you know God puts on your heart at this moment, knowing that there's so many thousands of people probably that have impacted your life, but there's a few probably, one in particular that God puts on your mind, and knowing, knowing that it's not exclusive. <laughs> um. 
so impacted how I think about, mm-hmm. think about children mm-hmm. and families. Oh man, there's so many. Um, this is an interesting one and it's probably, <laughs> that's funny cause it's not a teacher and it's not, but he comes to mind and, um, there's a guy, a young guy that we work with um, through our organization, Orphans Promise in Kyrgyzstan. And he's just a young dad in his 20s. His name's Anton. And um, him and his wife, um, you know, simple people um, who were called to adopt after, you know, they had a biological child and they were called to adopt. Right. And he was just a person, just a simple person that was willing to think outside the box and to do something um, that he saw that foreigners were doing, that other people were doing. Um, but he said, you know, we can do this. You know, we're young, um, but God has called us to this. And he's becoming, um, along with another a whole group of people in Kyrgyzstan, um, have started the Kyrgyzstan Without Orphans movement. Mm-hmm. And um that has just been, you know, Kyrgyzstan is a poor country and, um, but we're working, you know, with a couple pastors there and seeing how, um, they have embraced this vision to see children and families. And so, um, it's just been really cool to see a local, simple, simple group of people that has grabbed a vision and says, we can do this at a local level and we, um, we'll take help where we can get it, but we're going to, we're going to tackle this problem. So uh, those are the people that inspire me. You know, I know you also know George Ebenezer in India and, you know, he's another one. It's like God gives him a vision and he goes with it. And I, I, and those are the type of people that inspire me, not necessarily, you know, the authors of big books or, um, the speakers at all the conferences, but, you know, just some of these normal people that God, um, puts a real need on their heart and they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, George and his wife have taken in half a dozen children and, um, but yet, you know, was willing to walk away from the orphanage model and say, nope, we're going to be a family Mm -hmm. and, um, just live out our lives, um, uh, openly for people to see this. And so those, those people inspire me. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. No, absolutely. And there's, like you said, there's so many so many amazing people in this world. And, and this, that's one of the things I love about this, this podcast, I get to meet some of them. And as I told you the story today, and I'm going to just share this with you out there, folks, that I love, you know, getting to do what I get to do on this show, but I, I get, love getting to meet the people, you know, my people like yourselves get to know you better. Um, but Jafat Chifamba is one of my buddies. He's a now, he's one of my good friends over in Zimbabwe. And coolest thing yesterday my son getting a minor surgery and I put it on Facebook for those of you who bash on Facebook out there there are some good parts of Facebook and this is one of them. I put a little prayer request and Jafat proceeds to make a video and send me an email and Karen saw it. it was the coolest video and I got to play it for my son and he lit up when I told him he was in Zimbabwe he's like where's that and I said it's I'll show you on the map and my son's six and so he's just in Uncle Jeff, as he said on the video, and it was the coolest thing, you know, to be able to, you know, I've got meet him in person once, but we're brothers, you know, and not only in doing this work, brothers in Christ, and we just have these connections with people, like you said, you know, you're able to go and stay with them. I have no doubt if I go to Zimbabwe, and Jafad, I'm putting you on the spot, buddy, but when I go to Zimbabwe, he will open up his home. He will roll out the red carpet and I have no doubt that that will happen. Same thing happened over in India with Ian Forber Pratt. And, you know, these guys are just amazing, you know, and uh, men and women alike all around the world that we get to work with um, who are doing amazing, amazing things and are just incredible people. So thank the Lord for that. And I just I know that you share in that uh, sentiment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. 
Um, so now, I told you you'd have the opportunity. You can say no, but if you have you know a question that comes to mind that you wanted to ask me, if there's just you know burning questions around the world, I'm sure everyone's saying, "What does Phil want?" You know, Christmas. well, that's <laughs> that, that, I, I know, but you know. Um, but is there anything, you don't have to, the answer can be no, but is there anything that you wanted to ask me since you are co-hosting the show yeah. today? Well, maybe I, since you've been doing this podcast thing longer than I have, um, what do you, what would you say um, has been your biggest like aha moment in talking to people over the course of hosting this podcast where you've been talking to someone and um, suddenly just a connection was made and you had kind of one of those lightning moments where you felt like God was showing you something or the pieces were coming together? That's an interesting question. And I, I, I do get put on the spot every so often, but that's a, that, yeah, no kid. Now I feel like Karen the other day where she didn't know the answer to a question. Um, no, you know, this is something that, that the other thing you learn to do on a podcast is you just talk for a while if you don't know the answer and then that way there's no dead space and that's good and then you can think about it while you're talking <laughs> not that I'm doing that right now I'm just sharing with you what to do in the future if you're ever doing an interview but no I think that really it's not I don't know if it's an aha moment it's more confirming um, what I thought going into it and what I've been understanding because you know as I as I told you you know this morning as I've shared with people you know I was an attorney for eight years and I came into this completely from left field right I wasn't like planning this my whole life going to college thinking I'm going to go into orphan care and like live you know lifelong dream where I'm now realizing it this was totally out of the blue and this was something that you know God brought me into to and I had no idea why it was just like okay this is where I'm going and then over the last few years of seeing it's really to you know kind of have a high level thinking and to kind of be um, in the conversations with people to understand these issues deeper and to figure out how we can do it better and to figure out how I can help others and equip others and inspire others and undergird others to kind of be behind the scenes where really no one knows who, you know, Phil Dark is or Providence World are, but we're helping others be better. We're helping others flourish. We're helping others excel. You know, the podcast was not part of the plan. This just happened and God kind of put it in our, in our lap as an opportunity to be able to do all those things that I just talked about. And so in the context of all of that, to know that, you know, the really, I, I learn over time, you know, these issues are nuanced. Like you talked about earlier, these issues are really difficult. There is no easy answer. There's no right answer in every situation, right? right? To know, and I think the biggest, as I guess it is a kind of an aha, that as I hear more people talk, I've kind of live in both theory and practice, you know, because we have La Providencia in Honduras that we're able to, I, I see the everyday. I, I talk to my team there about the everyday minutia, trees that's really in the muck and the mire, the tough everyday stuff. And I also live in theory land with, you know, researchers and ex, quote unquote experts, you know, that we call them even though they're not in the trees, right? You know, so are they really experts of the trees? Probably not, right? You know, and so that's, that's kind of an aha too. But really the idea that, that, uh, you know, so much of it is contextual. So what I usually find is when people adamantly disagree with each other, usually, not always, but usually, one is living in theory and one is living in practice. Yeah. More, right? Um, and they, they live in one more than the other. And everyone to a certain extent has, you know, exposure to both. But if you're literally in a cultural context that is unique 
because I don't care if you're in, you know, a different part of a particular country. There's a different cultural context as we talk about, and you have different kids, and you have different parents, and you have different, you know, so everything is different. There's different laws in different states of Honduras. You know, there's different laws, obviously. Honduras versus Cambodia, for instance, or India versus anywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, there there are cultural contexts that will determine the best practice, mm-hmm. right? And you have, like you said, these higher arching attachment is critical. How do we get attachment? That will look different in different <laughs> countries based on laws, based on culture, based on a lot of things. You know, I talk with uh, another uh, friend in, in Zimbabwe about the totem culture, you know, totem part of their culture where it wouldn't work to adopt a child into a different totem there, basically village uh, tribe, because that would be a curse on that totem. That's out of our worldview here in the U.S., right? That doesn't compute in our, no, it's just a loving family, yeah. right? Because that child wouldn't, it wouldn't work. And he's telling us that, you know, and those, to, to think through those issues. And we're like, no, it could work. Well, you know, what he's telling us, we need to trust, right? And so that's the other thing. So it's, it's, it's to have our best practice. It's to have our understanding of what are the scientific, the research shows, whatever we say on that side. But then to understand there, there is real, real cultural issues. There's real legal issues. There's real um, religious issues. There's real all kinds of other issues, right, that go into play. So I think that knowing those things, but then also seeing it in the context of we need to really listen to each other. To not throw away our convictions, to not throw away what we understand, to not throw away the way we think about things but to really listen to each other about why we might think a particular thing is the case, right? And then we may agree to disagree at the end, but let's really try to see what we agree on. And then why are you, why are you, because at the end of the day, most people doing this work really want to love the kids well. They really want these kids to flourish. They really want the best for the kids. And sometimes they differ on, like, sometimes you really do disagree, but most of the time people just don't understand the issues or they, or they haven't thought through them or, you know, their culture doesn't believe in the same way or their, you know, worldview. And as that's the other thing that I've, the other aha um, I've had is worldview is everything, yeah. right? Um, your worldview shapes everything you see, everything you do. And when we minimize that, we miss so much. And you've seen that travel in the world, you know. Um, you've talked, you know, a lot of people from all over the world and, and just the way people say different things. And I said, just one example of that is if you're in a Buddhist culture with a Buddhist worldview, women are seen as lesser. So when you live in that culture, the idea of, prostitu- the idea of prostitution, the idea of trafficking, the idea of these different things is not as taboo because it's just a woman. Right. And even saying those words in America, I know people I, I'm, I'm offended. Right. And I know people are offended. And for Americans, like, no, that can't be that. Way. It well, is. That's why we get so riled up about those causes. Right. It's against our world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I could go on and on about all this. But that is such these are critical realizations. And they're, they're things that are that when you hear them over and over and they kind of come through, they don't necessarily come through. That's kind of how my mind works. It's kind of putting all these pieces together. It's like this puzzle. Um, 
and so that's those are some of the some of the things that I I've kind of learned over time. So cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. So wow, that was a fun one. I didn't. I was not expecting <laughs> Good that on the question. Spot that, was, that, was a, that was a zinger. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so now let's go into. I, I'm excited about this part, and you know, it, it's the top. I want to hear the top ten recommendations from your road trip. I know that before the road trip, you sent out a Facebook thing saying, "Hey, I'm going on this road trip." I need some recommendations for yes. podcasts, books, you know, that I can listen to. So I want to hear, you know, if people are going on a road trip or if they're just wanting good listens, yeah. um, podcasts, audio books, sermons, whatever. What are your okay. top 10? All right. Yeah. Well, you gave me a couple of them, I think. Um, so let's see here. Podcasts. Um, I did get into listening to Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History. That one, uh, it's different. It's fun. Um, it just makes you think on fun topics that you wouldn't normally think on and yeah. unearths things you didn't know about. So that one was a fun one. I listened to a few of his. And on the same Malcolm Gladwell note, um, the book, David and Goliath, that was actually the first audiobook I listened to because um, several people had recommended him as as an author, and I know yeah. he's got a lot of other popular books, but that one, David and Goliath, was was really fascinating um, on just understanding. I mean, the whole concept of of underdogs and rising to what what is factors are needed to rise above, and so that was a cool book. Um, also enjoyed the podcasts of Matt Chandler from the Village Church. A lot of people, you know, it was funny. You learned your friend's theological bent uh, with all the podcasts. I had like the the full spectrum of theology on that my on my funny. recommendations. So, so true. Um, Matt Chandler and Tim Keller were among them. Um, so uh -huh. yeah, they they're brilliant teachers. Um, uh, a cousin of mine recommended Unbelievable with mm. Justin Brierly. I think is how you say his last name. He's a guy in the UK that does um, interviews. They're like a Christian apologetics okay. kind of things, but he always pits two people against each other with totally di different worldviews. Yeah. Um, and so he has a lot of big thinkers on both sides of any equation sure. and he has a real healthy debate. He's like, he um, facilitates it and gives everybody equal footing. And so um, he obviously himself is a believer, but he gives um, uh, both sides of every equation equal voice. And it, it's just a fascinating uh, podcast. And that one's called Unbelievable. I think you told me about Phil Vischer. I I listened to him a couple times, or maybe that was someone else. I didn't. But, I just no, you didn't. Phil is my name. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe that's it. But Phil, someone recommended <laughs> Phil Vischer, and he's the veggie, yeah, the, the creative right. veggie tales. Yeah. But he's got a fun podcast, and he's uh -huh. kind of quirky and yeah. funny, and so and entertaining. So that one was fun. Books. Um, I listened to this is one. It was one of my favorites, and the audio telling of it is amazing. But it's called "Before We Were Yours" by Lisa Wingate, mm. and it tells the story. It's based on a true story of this children's home in rural in no in Memphis, Tennessee, in like the nineteen. 20s, 30s, something like that. But um, it's based on a true story of just this like horrible child selling ring that existed oh, wow. in the U.S. But um, it's a it's a it's a novel, but it's so well done. And really, especially as I was immersed in this topic, because these kids are like taken away from their family and right. then they're in this horrible, corrupt orphanage and then adopted. And it deals with a lot of these topics. And it's it's very, very well told. So that was a favorite book. Um, also, if you're into World War II novels, um, I read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which mm -hmm. is really, really good. 
Um, also, Boys in the Boat was oh, another one. Really. And finally, I'm working on right now The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Okay. So I've got kind of a wide variety yeah, there. A little bit of like fiction, my, uh, nonfiction. Yeah. But it's been fun. I have not, quote unquote, read slash listened um, to this many books in a long time, but I've had a lot of hours on my hand yeah. and it has been fun. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a good way to check out from the heaviness of a lot mm-hmm. of these interviews and just have some, some reading. So. Yeah. I think Boys in the Boat was probably one of my favorite books over the last good. I mean, decade. It might have been one of my favorite books ever. It was phenomenal. If you haven't listened, and it was good to listen to as well. I, yeah, the, the audio version mm-hmm. of that book is so riveting. Yeah, I listened to that with Becca, and, and we, we were like looking for reasons to get in the car and listen. <laughs> it was like, can we just go on a drive? Kids, we're going on a date, you know. Uh, <laughs> I found that with a couple of my books. I'm like, I just want to get back in the car. <laughs> I want to read my book. <laughs> Totally. So, so, you know, I was going to do my uh, top 10. Actually, I started at top 10. I got to 15 and there's actually 16 on it. But I'm just going to tease it now because we're going to do that the next time because we're already a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. We just had so much fun doing this that it was uh, it just it just got out of hand, got out of hand. But that that was kind of what I expected to happen with the two of us doing this. So but it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Karen, for for being part of this, for being able to you know do this with me today. I was, it, was, it was fun. Hopefully we'll be able to do more of this with our with our guests and get some more co-hosts and things like that. And so if you're out there and you're, you know, you're like, I want, I really want to do this, shoot me an email and you know, maybe we can, maybe we can make it happen. So, um, look forward to continuing to hear from you, Karen, continuing to hear about the book. And you know, this is, this has been, been a lot, a lot of fun. Thank you. It's, it's been a joy to be here with you. So thanks. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, folks out there, thanks again for, for being a part of this. Definitely have a very, very Merry Christmas. If you're listening to this, you know, if you're one of those that downloads it right away, then you are getting ready for Christmas. So I do pray that you have a great Christmas with your family. Um, that That is one recommendation I'll make. If, you, if you're if you looking for a great Advent devotional, it's kind of a little late in the game, but it's never too late. And uh, the, the one that David Tripp, Paul David Tripp, uh, talked about uh on his show the one that he just uh he just put out there just published called come let us adore him i've been going through it it's fantastic it's it's, it literally goes through the end of december as well which i kind of like it's not just but it the idea of um just advent and we're we're awaiting and uh i also posted on facebook my wife did a phenomenal chapel at my kid's school i posted it it's so worth the 20 minutes i literally i'm not not just because she's my wife Yes, she is, and I am very biased. I will admit that, but it was a very, very good Advent sermon for you out there. I literally was in tears, um, and I I am a sap, so I do get into tears a lot. So, But anyway, folks, um, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this show. Um, thank you for engaging. Thank you for um, just loving orphan and vulnerable children around the world in awesome ways and I do pray that this show helps in little ways and in big ways to help you do that help you love orphan and vulnerable children better and better every day of your life thanks a lot have a great week and have a Merry Christmas we hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast for all the information in this week's podcast please visit us at thinkorphan.com you too can be part of the conversation send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan Think Orphan